I'm Donnie. And I'm Anthony. And we make up the GW Branding Group, here to bring you the Off the Ground Podcast, the podcast where we interview entrepreneurs and find out how they got their businesses off the ground. Hey everybody, this is Anthony and Donnie, and we are the Off the Ground Podcast, here today with Chrissy White with CoFamily Mediation. And we are all about bringing on successful entrepreneurs and learning more about their business and how they got it off the ground. So thank you for coming on today, and we'd love to hear your story. Well, thanks so much for having me and considering me a successful entrepreneur. We'll see, I guess, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, well, just to start, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Um, I am a Hoosier, a small-town Indiana girl, Uh, came up to the big Windy City for law school. after just kind of always knowing that I wanted to pursue a career that was meaningful and that uh, helped people, essentially. I love to communicate. I love to write. Um, I've always been opinionated, but also moderate in my views at times. You know, I I found that um, as an advocate and an attorney, um, I'm really kind of vibing with the mediation route because I am finding that there are a lot of ways we can find common ground with people. So, you know, I'm a middle child from the Midwest, <laughs> middle America, millennial. You know, I I grew up um, with three siblings. You know, I'm the middle of the girls. So there are three girls and one boy. Um, but I've always been one to try to be a peacemaker, to try to be sensible, reasonable, but um, ambitious, too. Um, one thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking about how did this all come about, and um, I think it comes back to like my parents um, when we were each kid when we turned ten, we got to go out to um, California with my dad to visit his brother and sister-in-law, who's my aunt. Um, she is a judge in Los Angeles. Her name's Elizabeth, and. Uh, she was just really influential in that 10-year-old trip. I, I remember um, my, all three of my siblings had different experiences. They went out to, like, Universal Studios. They went to Disneyland. I went to court. So it just happened to be the thing that I got to do. And uh, I got to watch her um, kind of admonish a person, but also really just do something that I found really professional and, and admirable. And she just looked so cool up there. I just really thought, you know, this is interesting. And so I, I, every time I would see her after that, I'd talk to her about her career. And it kind of just led me in that way, in a way. So, I mean, what steered you towards the mediation? Um, I think that specifically my law school, um, DePaul, was really um, well known for family law. Hmm. And, um, you know, I always grew up... um, also with a passion for children and helping kids and, and being an advocate in that role. And um, I just, that's why I chose DePaul. It was um, something that they were very well known for, um, their family law department. And um, I, I just thought that if I was going to practice law, I wanted to do something um, that I would be passionate about, mm-hmm. something that I uh, could really make a difference in people's lives with. Um, There are very many different areas of law you can go into, and um, actually, Anne Elizabeth had told me several times not to do family law because it's actually very (laughs) difficult at times. You know, it's a lot different than um, what you see in uh, a criminal case or or even a civil litigation matter because those things have happened. But your family, as the divorce is happening, you're you're still parenting, you're Mm -hmm. co-parenting then, and so it it is a different 
animal. You know, the, there's a little bit of a moving target at times. And um, you're not dealing with just one incident. You're dealing with somebody's life and how it's changing massively um, and legally. And and so, yeah, you just when you go into law school, you kind of have an open mind in, in what you might do. Um, I just knew that I'm a people person. I'm an empath. I'm, I'm a kind of a good listener. I try to be and try to be um, uh, somebody who can give people comfort when they need it. Mm. And I think that's definitely an area uh, that meshes well with my, you know, strengths and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I always hear people say, um, you know, they'd rather do criminal law than family law because it gets pretty, pretty rough. Is that been your experience in in family law or have you been able to find ways around that stigma of like all the craziness that goes on with like a a divorce or a separation oh yeah i mean it's that is something that people will say um almost in jest but also in seriousness they say they'd they'd rather um be defending someone who is accused of a crime than uh representing an ex going through divorce because you do see people at their worst Mm. you you see people at their um really breaking points because you don't come to a divorce lightly. You don't come to that life-changing decision. Um, say you weren't married and you you have a child together, but you no longer want to be in that relationship. It's a really painful decision for people. And it, there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with that. And so you get people at their worst and you get people at their most vulnerable. There's so much fear, mm-hmm. uncertainty, and doubt in the situation that, you know, you, you really... Uh, I can empathize, and and it's funny too because just like no dentist wants a root canal, no divorce attorney wants a divorce, but I happened to go through that two years ago. So um, now I'm just like, I'm one of us, you know, it's <laughs> like, we're, it, it happens. You flip a coin, right? 50% of marriages, yeah. unfortunately, uh, might meet that fate. And, you know, I'm all for marriage. I'm all for people finding that person and, and making it work and sticking it out. But there are times when you reach uh, a place where that decision needs to be made. And and it's personal for every individual going through it. And I can at least um, see that, you know, if that person is struggling, if they are kind of showing you their their nasty side, like, you know, you can at least hopefully guide them towards the light and show them that there is something on the other side. Would it be safe to say that, you know, as opposed to criminal law where there's, uh, I guess, a right and a wrong when it comes to this, you know, mediation and divorce and separation, there's sort of just a mitigation of damage that, that happens? Or, or do you think that in every situation there's a way to kind of find the, the right answer for everyone? I think there's absolutely a mitigation factor to it. You know, that's a great way to look at it. You're, you're just trying to make it okay for people going forward and most importantly, their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when we're talking about criminal law, we're talking about uh, a civil matter, a lawsuit involving some type of monetary damages or something like that. Um, you know, there are different burdens of proof and you're you're out there to say to the court, this is what happened and here's why you should believe me. And these are the facts and this is why you should believe that these are the facts. And this is the law and this is why you should apply the facts to the law in the way that is good for my client. You know, there is a lot of that that goes on in, in a family law matter. You know, you do take into consideration what's happened and what people are doing. And if there is some wrongdoing going on, and certainly if it's not good for a kid to be spending um, a certain amount of time with one parent, then that needs to be said, you know. But it, at the end of the day, 
it's always going to be looked at from the court's point of view as what is the best interest of this particular child or children? Um, what's going to be best for them given the circumstances, given where everybody is currently as they are? Yeah. And, and what do we do moving forward? Is there going to be some type of family therapy that needs to happen? Is there going to be some type of, you know, um, help for these kids, you know, personal therapy for them? Are we going to look into um, uh guardian ad litem to come in and investigate their best interests. There's all these ways that the court can help, but at the end of the day, people you know, need to make their own decisions, and they kind of have to step it up and, and act like adults, too. Yeah, so in terms of family law and divorce, can you walk us through the steps of what that looks like, and if someone's going through that, how does that, how does that process start? Um, that's a great question. So it it starts with the decision to get a divorce. So, you know, once that person has decided that, they they start calling lawyers. You know, they, it's very rare that they're calling lawyers um, without being certain that that's what they want to do. Um, they don't have to necessarily hire an attorney to get them through the process. They can go to court themselves and file a petition um, and, and then have that served on their spouse. Um, they they simply start with that. It's a petition. It's just like um, any kind of lawsuit or any kind of uh, criminal uh, indictment. You know, it's it's where it starts. It gets served on the other side. The other side um, has a chance to respond, and they can either get an attorney to file an appearance, um, or they can just respond uh, what they say pro se or self represented, um, and then the kind of the court begins to be aware of the situation, but they still have time. You know, they have, in most cases, um, the court date will be 90 days out or so. Depends on each county, how they do it. But um, in Kane County, where I'm most familiar, the, the court date's always about 90 days out, um, for example. So you have time to kind of start settling things and start negotiating things. But in that time period, that's when people are in the most kind of upheaval, you know, because they've got to figure out what's going to be the new normal. And there's really no rule at that point who gets what or who does what. So they got to figure that out either by themselves or through a mediator. Yeah. You, You mentioned that you don't need an attorney, you know, to start or even to get through the process. So I'd love to hear about your practice, you know, and why, why somebody would choose to, you know, hire you to, to navigate these waters. That's a great question. Um, I truly believe that knowledge is power and that people should feel empowered to go and handle their personal legal matters personally. Mm. Um, However, if they have a lot of fear and uncertainty about what may happen, if they are feeling particularly vulnerable to the other side um, and their likely response or their likely behavior based on their filing, they do need an attorney to represent them and to to advocate for them. So it's a personal decision. There's also a cost barrier that people have to consider. Um, People can't always afford a retainer. I, I'm going to give a big shout out to the Justice Entrepreneurs Project of Chicago. That's where I got my start as a solo attorney mm-hmm. called the JEP, and they're doing so much good where they are taking small law firms, either partnerships or solo firms, and it's an incubator. It's an office space that's shared. It's all these mm-hmm. resources that are shared, and they teach us, and I, I am still a part of it, uh, 
the billable hour is not conducive to the average American, average Chicagoans, you know, bank account, their their budget. They have these constraints and they can't afford necessarily a $5,000 retainer right off the bat, mm-hmm. especially when they're dividing their household and they're trying to divide their assets. They're, they're not necessarily equipped for that, especially if they're a young family, a young married couple, young kids, a lot of expenses. Um, and so they've done away with the billable hour and they've taught a huge um, cohort of attorneys um, how to run a successful business without charging by the billable hour, which is just really, it can, it can creep up so fast. You'd, you'd be surprised how quickly um, a law firm can take someone's money and, and only get halfway through the case. You oh, know, yeah. I, I, and I hate to speak ill of, of my colleagues and, and former classmates <laughs> who are in these larger law firms. They serve a purpose and they sure. serve people who have a different income bracket. Yeah. So, you know, there's, they're just trying to bridge the gap. There's an, there's an access to justice issue, which is there are people who don't qualify for free legal aid, and they also can't afford these large retainers, um, knowing that that retainer is not limited. You know, it's going. People are often going to spend beyond their five thousand or seventy five hundred dollar retainer. Um, it just that's the nature of the beast. But um, the JEP has taught uh, attorneys how to empower people to, to make their own decisions and to do what they can on their own, and then also to be there to guide them and to help them taking a, you know, a scalpel, not a sledgehammer, mm-hmm. to their life and, and, and working on those smaller issues that can make a big impact on their day-to-day lives and then letting um, the people know how to function and how to go represent themselves. So we do like limited scope representation or collaborative law, a lot of mediation, a lot of alternative dispute resolution techniques so that we kind of peel back the layers of the adversarial process because that's where the, that's where the bills come from. Yeah. I have a, a two-part question here. So at what point do the people looking to get representation come to you in that process? Is that right away? Or is that when they've kind of settled their differences and and kind of started that planning? It's a variety. I think um, sometimes they come because they were blindsided. They were served with the divorce papers, and so they don't know what to do. They just know they better talk to an attorney, and and they've got to know what their options are and what their rights are. Um, I offer free consultations, which I think is really important because – I, I think, like I said, you know, empowering people with the knowledge of what needs to happen next, even if I'm not the person for them, if if they don't go with me, I still want them to know what their what the rights are. I like to be educational in that and tell them, you know, here's what you can do and here's what I can do for you. Um, but it's more to your your question when when do they come to me in the process? It's just whenever they feel they really need uh, an attorney and. Everyone has a different threshold, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. The second part of that is, would you be able to walk us through that process of onboarding uh, a client when they when they come in and you know they're looking to you for that help and they're kind of in that desperate you know stage? What's that process? How do you start out? Um, you know, walk, walk walk us through what that would look like for them. Um, what I try to do is I try to be very neutral and I try to, you know, be very transparent with people because say one spouse comes to me and they want mediation, which is what I want 
them to want, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's my bread and butter. That's what I want to offer to people is the mediation. Um, I do have other offerings, but, you know, specifically when it comes to mediation, they can come to me. um, They tell me, you know, what's going on. It's a very brief phone call. And then I say, okay, well, if it's all right with you, I'm going to reach out to your spouse and I'm going to have the same amount of time on the phone with them before we meet together so that they know, you know, that it is equal, it is unbiased, it is neutral. And I can let them know in an email, for example, I just spent 15 minutes on the phone with your spouse. They've told me that you're going through divorce and that you're considering mediation. In that case, I'd love to speak with you for 15 minutes of your time, just so we can try to um, narrow down a time and place where we can uh, start mediation if that's what you want to do. And people are often pretty receptive to that because I, I don't want them to think, you know, I'm on the opposite side already. I really want them to yeah. know that I'm neutral. So then we have, you know, more of like a 30 to 45 minute call with the two of them and myself. And it could be on Zoom or it could be on the phone, whatever is more comfortable for them. But at that point, you know, that's when I'm going to give them kind of the nuts and bolts of divorce, answer the questions they may have about it, find out if they have attorneys yet or not, and if they want to mediate with or without attorneys, they're welcome to do that. Uh, They're welcome to bring their attorneys and and do it that way, or they're welcome to basically sit down in the conversation with just me. You know, there's no right or wrong way to do that, but we do want to get the initial information out. You know, do they have kids? Do they have real estate that they own together in the marriage? Um, What are we dealing with in terms of, you know, does anybody want to move? Do we have um, a big dispute that needs to be you know, handled right away. Um, and then we try to get something on the calendar as soon as possible. And so that's kind of the intake, I guess. Do people often feel like you're taking a side in the, in the sessions and stuff? I, I hope not. I really <laughs> hope not. I think that, you know, you can never know what they think. Um, I only have, like everyone, every judge you might see on the, on the bench, they only have their own life experience to go off of. And, they're, they're supposed to be neutral as well. And we all bring our implicit bias with us uh, wherever we go based on what we know about the world. But I'm always trying to question that in myself. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to, you know, look at, you know, two different parents and look at them for the parent that they are. And I try to say co-parent. I try to use gender neutral language where I'm talking, you know, I'm not saying, well, moms do this and dads do this. You know, even if I were to say something like that, it's not going to come across well yeah. to either person. You know, they nobody wants um, their mediator to be biased, sure. and and I think they we're all human. So um, it is something that in my mediation training I've been really uh, mindful of, and um, yeah, I, I try really hard. That's a big part of of this, um, and what makes mediation difficult at times too. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you find often that people are having a hard time? come to a common middle ground or are you finding that uh if they come to you before getting lawyers involved that it's often a little bit easier to get to get to the middle ground i i think that um it depends on people's personality types how um cynical or skeptical they may be um but i really am not trying to hide the ball with anyone i really want them to know that they're you know there's only one driver's seat in a car, but they're both in the driver's seat. They're both driving their own, you know, divorce. And at this point, we've got to figure out, you know, how do they divide this household? They're both, they both have equal say in the matter. 
because you know that's how it is. We're, they're supposed to be looked at equally in the eyes of the law, and um, I think that people just have different comfort levels with the entire judicial system that's going to yeah. come from their own life and their parents or their upbringing, what it may be. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just I, I try to be open and honest with people, and I try to be fair. Um, I like to say fair. I made an acronym kind of for my own uh, business, but also to try to share with my clients. I want to keep this fair, and that stands for future-focused, affordable, integrative, and respectful. Mm. You know, so we're not—the past is in the past, you know. Whatever happened, happened. But now what's happening is you got to parent these kids together, however that looks. Keep it affordable by not going and, and getting an attorney who's out for blood. You know, there are these attorneys who maybe overpromise and, and say, oh, yeah, you're going to get this, that, this, that. They're going to get nothing. They're not going to get to see the kids. You're going to get all this money. You know, if they're promising that, I say run for the hills because that's just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a balance, and the court's not going to allow that to happen. So why would a mediator or an attorney try to tell somebody that that's what's going to happen? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I just I try my very best to to put that at ease in people. But again, if they have their their skepticism or their cynicism, um, I, I just want to give them the knowledge that they can use. And they they don't have to make an agreement in my in my mediation session either. Okay. If we can agree on just one or two things, that's great, yeah. because then at least that's two or three, you know, one or two things that they they can take with them and go to an attorney and say, we already figured that out. You don't need that to be, you know, hashed out. Don't even worry about it. But here are the issues that remain. Yeah. So do you offer multiple sessions for people that are willing to come to you for mediation services? Yeah, and I think that's kind of what sets me apart in, in my mediation kind of approach because oftentimes – the court will make you go to mediation if you don't agree and you get to a certain point and you're about to go to a hearing. Um, most local jurisdictions, their local rules are going to say um, if it's an issue of co-parenting, if it's an issue of um, parenting time or child support or something like that, you're going to at least have to go to one session of mediation. Um, the way I look at it, I think, and the, what I'm trying to do here is give people the option of never having to go to court and going to mediation more often, early and often, you know, Mm -hmm. in their process so that they can set the tone that, you know, if we can't agree on something, we're at least going to sit down with a mediator and we're going to try. And and so I've got an approach where I do an initial mediation Mm -hmm. module where it consists of, you know, uh, three people or five people, you know, if they have their attorneys, but, but both sides and me in a Zoom session, and then I can do breakout sessions with one side and, and then with the other and try to keep that equal time and, and then come to some type of an agreement in that initial module. But that's just going to be where we're talking about those initial agreements mm-hmm. that need to be made, the temporary things of child support, parenting time, mar- uh, marital residence, who's going to live there and how long are they going to live there together and are they selling it or is one person staying? You know, these kind of things, you know, but most importantly, what's happening with the kids and when. And then moving forward, we come back for another session and we're going we're gonna to talk about a more specific uh, long-term planning piece where it's not crucial that we decide who's taking how much of the retirement at this very moment, but it is important. Yeah. And it's not a pressing matter, but it will become a huge part of the discussion. So once we get the 
fires put out in the initial uh, mediation module, then the next module is um, intended for people to focus on that. So my hope is that it's pay as you go. So they, they pay the initial amount and it's the first session is going to be the more expensive one. And then the the next session, because I have all the underlying info, we're just going to get to work on, you know, get down to brass tacks. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to try to figure out the solution going forward. And and I do pay as you go, meaning if you want to come back next week and, and get started, you know, that's fine. We'll do that. And we can get this whole thing done in six weeks, six sessions. That'd be great. But it's going to be about $4,500 that way. Or is it going to be over the period of six months that you do that? But whatever is feasible for people. Yeah. So can you give us a cost, general cost breakdown of having a mediator first? I, I heard you say something that was, you know, um, early and often. So is that is that something, what's the cost uh, breakdown ver- versus going to a lawyer? Um, you know, like, is there is there a benefit to it? I think so. Now, there's a, there's a drawback to mediation, too, which I'll explain in a moment. But the... The issue that with cost is that in your divorce, it's uncertain. It's uncertain how much you're going to need to spend because you don't know how the other side is going to respond. You don't know what their lawyer is going to do or if they're going to be without a lawyer. If the judge is going to say, hey, we can't decide anything today, come back in four weeks, and then you've got you know no answers. You've got four weeks of resentment building. You've got four weeks of kids not knowing who's going to be picking them up from school. Things can happen in that time, you know, and and that's where things, phone calls to an attorney come up. Like, you know, he did this again. She did that again. What do I do? The kid's not here when they're supposed to be. And what am I doing? You know, there are a lot of these things that if you could just talk to one another, you'd get these answers and you'd be resolved. But instead, you call your attorney they're not there because they're in court. So you're talking to their paralegal and you're explaining what's going on. And then are you getting billed for that call or not? Well, it depends on what your retainer says. So, you know, the bills can really rise up. So anyway, when it comes to the cost comparison, I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars that can be, you know, billed in those four weeks or something, you know, tens of thousands of dollars over a few months. So you just have to be careful. People have to read what they're signing. People have to know what they're spending, what they're agreeing to, because mm. you know, the, nobody's doing any work for free. So we, we all have to be mindful how we spend our money, and we all have to be mindful how people are you know, giving us their services, because you know, it comes with a cost. Yeah. It's a, I've heard people say before that a highly contested divorce is a luxury, and it kind of is. Yeah. And and it doesn't need to be. People should be entitled to having some guidance and some help throughout this process because it's just daunting. Yeah, we're not in the same kind of business at all, but we find the same thing. So many people that have gotten burned by, you know, other other website or marketing people that they've hired just because, oh, we we say it costs X amount, but if you want this, you gotta pay more, and if you want this, you gotta pay more. Uh, but I do think that's, you know, just a much more honest way to do business is to be very upfront about your costs and be upfront about uh, expectations. You yes. know, and, and gosh, in, in a field like law, you know, I bet it's kind of hard to find that just generally. Oh, I know. I mean, you, we're trained to be good talkers. We're trained to be, <laughs> you know, good at... Good Especially at, if you're billing by the minute, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're trying to persuade people that we're going to fight for them. And we mm-hmm. are. And 
and it is hard work. And, and you know, there are times when I have worked um, in firms where we do bill by the hour, and I work really hard, and I try very hard to, to get the very best results for people. Um, but it's like playing football, you know. It's like you'd score a touchdown every time if it wasn't for the defense, you right. know. So you're going you're gonna to be up against a challenge, and you just never know how much pushback you're going to get. So have you ever mediated uh, a divorce or separation where there's been like a business in, involved? Because um, that's something that I, I always think about uh, as, as, you know, as we own a business, like how would that, how would that work? And, and typically what's the, what's the process with that? Because I think that's a pretty big thing and it might not be common, but it's definitely common in terms of, you know, divorces. There's a lot of business owners that are having, you know, to go through that. And I think that could be a very heavy burden that's weighing on their shoulder. Absolutely. And I think um, that's where a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt come in, too, because if we're not talking about your children, we're talking about your baby, which is your business. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something they put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into. And for your spouse who maybe didn't really want much to do with it, now they're going to want their piece of that pie. It's really touchy. Mm -hmm. um, however, anything that you um, anything you bring into a marriage during the marriage is deemed marital in Illinois, at least I can say. You know, it's marital property. Um, absent certain circumstances, if you had some type of a prenup or something, you know, I. I I can't even imagine what that might say if it said, you know, any business we're going to make is going to be only this spouse and not the others. You know, it's marital. So it's got to be divided or it's got to be your your assets in your marriage, your your marital assets. They have to be allocated equitably. It doesn't mean equal. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're each going to get 50 percent of this right. business. That's not going to work. You can't, you know, if you don't want to be married to each other, you don't want to be running a business together. So um, maybe the the answer to that kind of a question is, you know, a buyout sort of uh, situation. And that can or it's just it, in exchange for a certain portion of investment accounts or retirement accounts or whatever, whatever it may be. You know, there's different value to different things and it's not always monetary you yeah. know there's certain value to to someone's business that if I can just you know go my separate ways and I can still run my business and they can do this that is going to be the answer you know there there are a lot of ways to handle it and it's it's all negotiable and that's another thing that I want people to realize is like it's not cut and dry it's mm -hmm. it's going to be you know we're going to look at these accounts. We're going to try to make things even, and, and we're going to try to make things equitable. But people come into marriages with different resources and assets and debts and liabilities, and, and people leave with, with differences. And so we got to do what's right for them under the eyes of the law, which is just basically an equitable distribution, and then what's practical and what makes sense and what is the least uh, cumbersome, I think, you know, what what actually will help resolve the dis dispute overall. Yeah. Yeah. Something you should go to a mediator for. Right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm happy yeah. to help people mediate something like that because, you know, it's a, a business and I run a business now, you know, I know that it is something that you want to protect and that you want to uh, keep if you can. And yeah, it's definitely one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you mentioned that you've worked for bigger firms and you've had other uh, jobs within this portion of the law, but I'd like to know what made you decide to, 
you know, start your own practice? Is it conviction to do what's right for people or was it money or was it, you know, I, I, I'm just curious to know. Well, um, I will say, like I mentioned before, I went through my own divorce about two years ago. Mm. And um, in doing so, I, I realized that um, my ex, I call him the previous administration, <laughs> you know, he, he and I, we do a pretty good job of co-parenting. And, and we did a really good job, actually, of negotiating our divorce. I'll give him much credit to that because he's a lawyer, too. You know, it could be a disaster. <laughs> could be something that worked out. It actually worked out that we were able to negotiate things without needing to hire our own attorneys. We were our own attorneys, you know. Um, I guess we paid enough of that for law school, you know. It's like, <laughs> that's the retainer, right? Sure, right. But um, we, we both managed to be civil and reasonable in, in most of it and come up with an agreement that worked for us and for our kids. Now, that being said, at a certain point, I was a, a single mom, and life gets tough when you're spread so thin. And so working for a bigger firm where the requirements are a 60-hour work week, 2,000 billable hours a year, you know, that's it's a lot. And especially my kids are young. So it just wasn't really conducive to, like, my life, and it wasn't really feasible for me. And I just was feeling so much pressure that I decided, well, I've been solo before. I was solo, you know, back in 2017 to 2020, I'm going to do it again. But this time, I'm going to go into the mediation route. Mm-hmm. And I had the blessing of, of the partners at the firm. I, I was sad to go. I still, you know, think very highly of them, especially the ones I, I was with most recently. So, you know, it, it was a decision based on, like, personal need. But I, I used kind of my personal experience to try to build something that I think is going to be helpful. It's like, um, have you ever listened to the podcast, The Daily Stoic? No, I haven't listened to it. I highly recommend. Ryan Holiday, he, he studies and talks about stoicism, mm. and one of his quotes is, the obstacle is the way. And I kind of internalize that. Mm. Like, the obstacle is the way. Like, anything that I'm doing in my personal life, I try to practice what I preach. Like, if I... If I'm telling people, well, it's important for, you know, kids to see both parents, then it's in my life. It's important for my kids to see both their parents. You know, if I'm telling them, well, it's it's kind of nice when you can both show up at the soccer game and, and be there and both supporting your kid, if that's at all possible, well, then you better believe I'm going to try, you know, as long as my kid wants to play soccer. You know, he's <laughs> we did that for one season and it just was okay. But uh, now we're doing taekwondo. Ooh. So, Ooh, that's nice. but yeah, we know we, we are. Um, it was a personal decision to go solo, uh, but I'm I'm very personally uh, satisfied with that decision. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it's definitely uh, a risk when you go solo. You know, so what what was it like going to your you know bosses at at a large firm and saying, hey, this is something that I want to you know pursue? Was that was that uh, a long decision that you had to come to terms with? It was tough. It was very tough because I will say my. Um, most recent employment uh, before going solo, I really loved that office. I really loved the people, and I really I, I enjoyed working with them every day. And I still, when I see them, I'm always happy to see them because um, I'm at like Kane County Bar Association events and things like that. Yeah. Um, their approach is, is to be the litigators, to be the advocates for, for the people who come to them. And there's, there's a need for that. Like, don't get me wrong. Not everybody can come in. I'm not Pollyanna. I believe, like, there not everything is sunshine and roses for people. Mm-hmm. We can't just eat a cake made out of sunshine and rainbows and be happy. You know, we, we have to be realistic that there are people who are um, in need of fierce 
zealous advocates. And that's kind of more of their their style. And so um, I, I believe I had their blessing to go and, and pursue mediation. They sent out a letter to, to our clients to let them know that that's what I was going to be doing. And um, it made sense. You know, I think they could see that it made sense. And it it could make they could see that it could make sense for my family too, for me to kind of go in this role and and do things at my own pace and work and then parent and and do the things I got to do. Yeah, that's true with a lot of business owners. Obviously, when you're just starting, it can be a bigger time investment than a job. Um, mm-hmm. But having that freedom to you know you got to take the afternoon off to go to Taekwondo practice or yeah, something, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you want to be able to be there for your kids. They're only little for so long, and, mm. and they need you. Yeah. Were there any strategies you you learned working at a larger firm that you took with you coming to um, you know build your own practice? Absolutely. I think um, I'm so grateful for the mentorship that I, I was able to receive at my previous firm. Um, it, it was invaluable. I mean, it, these people, they had a combined year, uh, what, would, what would you call it? experience level of, you know, over 30 years of combined wisdom, you know, and um, they had been there and done that and seen a lot. And they had a lot to say about the way we should treat our clients. I mean, they're about, you know, being responsive to your clients. You know, I, I, bad news doesn't age well, you know, so you've got to be on the phone and you've got to be responsive in your emails. I think that's with every business, you know, you don't want to leave people hanging without a result because they'll go with someone else, you know, and, and you want to treat your clients well. Um, so they, that kind of thing. And also just the working hard and, and getting in there and being in front of the courts, you know, cause I do still represent people, um, in a non-mediation role. If I were, uh, you know, just representing one client um, in their divorce, I, I still take a lot of their advice to heart and and how I present myself to the court and how I um, formulate an argument and really go to bat for people. So that was really valuable stuff. And then just kind of their professionalism, top-notch, you know, level of professionalism that they always showed their clients and. Um, you know, they're very uh, hardworking people, and I aspire to be like them. I know that as I grow in my career and as my kids get a little older and things get a little easier, um, I I hope to be as successful as they are. Yeah, I was just going to ask, are you hoping someday to have a firm that's, uh, you know, growing and, and you're hiring more people and you're, you know, your own partner at some point? Yeah, I mean, I would love it if... Um, I would love it if this kind of style of mediation could take off, if we could kind of come up with this uh, framework that could serve more people and I could teach it to more people and, and have associates who mediate with a similar mindset and that, you know, we all kind of can triage that initial uh, meeting, the initial mediation module with with the two people who are just like, what are we going to do tonight, this week, next week with our kids as we're going through this divorce and, and really trying to help people get a resolution sooner, like early and often. And then they, you know, they can come back with, you know, taking a sigh of relief and they can come back and have someone who's like-minded like me mediate for them. If I could hire, you know, associates at some point, I think that'd be awesome. And then if it could be something where, it's not just Illinois, but we go and and there's co-family mediation for other states. If if we can uh, branch out into my home state of Indiana or something like that, just to start. But 
I do see the potential if I could just get that secret sauce, you know, and, and teach it. I yeah. think that's exciting. Yeah. And there's got to be some advantages of having your own, you know, firm and practice and starting to build off of that. You know, what are what are those advantages in your opinion versus having a larger firm represent you? Well, you can always try something mm. that may or may not give you the result that you want. You know, the I guess the question is always like my dad likes to say, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, if you try something different with a client and if you try uh, a new approach, is it, do you find it successful? Did it give the client the result that they wanted? And, and do you feel you were paid enough for it, right? We, that's always that. So I like that aspect of being an entrepreneur where you can try something new and you can say, okay, well, I will take that case and I will yeah. try that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot, uh, obviously, we talk to a lot of business owners, and there's a pivot uh, that a lot of them have to go through. You know, you start business, your business with one idea in mind, and then you end up having to really shift. Uh, have you had a situation like that yet, or are you still kind of trying to experiment to see uh, if you've got the better way, if you've got the secret sauce or not? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that... <laughs> with me, I, I see something shiny and I go for it. Or yeah. so, you know, I'm like excited yeah. and, and I want to do as much. Anybody who comes to me, I want to help them. You know, I don't want to turn away business. Yeah. Um, and so one thing I have found is like I've actually randomly uh, had a few more adoption cases come around where um, I, I really enjoy doing that um, area of law, practicing in adoption law. That's where I started with when I was in the JEP and I was solo for those uh, few years before I went to another firm, I was doing several adoption cases and it's a very specified area of family law. So some of those cases have come up and I'm like, I'm not going to turn them down because I really enjoy it. And I like to try to get people through that. They're in a vulnerable state as well, you know, and to help talk them through it and help them come up with terms for an open adoption agreement, for example. Um, I, I enjoy that area of law and I enjoy doing that. So like, I don't want to turn down those kind of things. And so, but at the same time, you know, it's like, um, I'm sure you hear people talk all the time in entrepreneurial circles about what's your hamburger, what's going to be your niche, what's going to be your one thing. Cause if you can do one thing really well and repeat it, that's going to be where you're going to thrive. Whereas if I'm going to do, you know, mediation and collaborative law and adoption and estate planning, am I going to spread myself too thin? Mm -hmm. I think that's every solo attorney's question is, you know, how do they, how do they market and, and try to get the right clientele coming in and, and how do they, uh, refer out the business sure. that they should. And it's it's just all about growing and, and trying things, doing it uh, in what feels right, taking on, not taking on more than you can handle, you mm -hmm. know, and, and doing good work for people. Yeah, Anthony and I talk about that all the time. Uh, you know, obviously you yep. can do a lot of different things and you can mm -hmm. do a great job at a lot of different things, but if there's something that's the most profitable or you're, you can provide the most value in, you know, how you're going to pre present your brand, that's who you're going to present it to. That's who you're going to market it to is, is the, the clients that you can help the most and the best. Yeah. Can you give us an example of one of your cases that you think was like, uh, you know, just a great case, you know, something that, that went, went well and, um, you know, is that something that's, was it like an adoption case or is it more mediation? Um, well, I'm thinking of maybe two different ones. And one more recently is, is an adoption case where just the clients were very happy that I was able to kind of navigate a, a little bit of a, an emotional 
aspect to it because as you can imagine it's very emotional and um it was a private adoption so that means that you know it's there wasn't an agency involved it wasn't a foster situation a dcfs case but it was um just a a situation where people were just trying to act in the best interest of the child and these hopeful adopting parents were wanting to adopt and and i was able to kind of navigate that because of what I had learned previously from other more experienced attorneys, I actually called one and asked. I mean, she was always my mentor when it came to adoptions. I said, what do I do in this situation? Because here's what's going on. And and she said, well, you know, X, Y, and Z. She kind of reminded me of, of what what the law is. I mean, I knew what it was, but it's always nice to have somebody to kind of yeah. collaborate with. <laughs> I went back to the uh, clients and I said, here's what we're going to do. And I think just being able to be certain about what we're going to do, it's that's very valuable, I think. If you can tell people, okay, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, here is the law. Here's how we're protected in the law. And here are our vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And, and here's what we need to do. And we're going to have a meeting and we're going to discuss this with the other side. And we're going to make sure that the other side is represented. And we're going to make sure that this is all fair and, and that this is ultimately agreed upon. And we were able to make it work. And, and so I think for that, I'm like, that kind of comes down to experience. I felt pretty confident about, you know, the outcome of that situation. And I, I especially um, was touched that, you know, my clients felt grateful and they told me that, you know, that that's always nice when you get that positive feedback, positive reinforcement and encouragement to go forward. Yeah, definitely. Donnie and I always, you know, talk like, oh, we need like a, a mentor. So is that something that you've you know, you said you have that, that one person you called. Is that someone that's been a mentor uh, throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, I guess I've mentioned a few mentors already. Um, I guess you, <laughs> I never want to burden one person with all my stuff, you know. So right, I always yeah. try to spread it out a little bit. And, and so if I've got a, an issue that's particularly uh, challenging in one area of law, I'm going to go to the person I've, I've discussed that kind of thing with before. And I always try to be mindful that, you know, I am asking for their time and their their opinion, and but that's what you do when you are in a professional setting and you have um, colleagues who do the same thing. And that's why I'm in bar associations, and that's why I join these committees and try to talk with other attorneys about these things, um, because that's where you gain a lot of wisdom. And yeah, I think it's always it's so nice to have a mentor, but mentors don't they don't always look like what they look like in you know. TV shows or something, uh, you might have many different people. Mm, yeah. Can you share some setbacks you may have had or some challenges you've had throughout your career or even just getting into law school? Oh, I'm not going to talk about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, I did have some setbacks even trying to get into law school. I had so little confidence in myself that I just thought, how am I ever going to, you know, do that? And I had to overcome that a lot. I think I, one of my biggest adversaries has always been myself. And I, I've learned over the years to be be kind to myself, be, be my own cheerleader, you know, to try to get in there and say, look, I am just as capable as anybody else. I have this background, like this this imposter syndrome that people talk about these days. It's like you really have to grapple with that and try to get rid of those um, self-doubt moments where you're just thinking, well, uh, 
if I got into this school, then anybody could. You know, why would you think that? That's not the case. That's just not the case. Mm. You know, if I if I did this, then that means it's not that great. Well, no, don't talk to yourself that way. Would you talk to a friend that way? You know, you have to start doing that every day, you know, giving yourself those positive affirmations. But I would say, going through law school, I was, I was always so insecure, and I, I was always so nervous and anxious all the time about things that, you know— it was all I was projecting on myself. Like I was thinking, this professor thinks I'm stupid. This study group probably thinks I have nothing good to offer. But what? I don't have that. I can't read people's minds. So that's coming from my own mind, mm. you know. And so you have to challenge those thoughts. And I've done a lot of therapy, a lot of self-help mm-hmm. books, yeah. a lot of uh, Brene Brown uh, TED Talks. I, I've, I've really reached out to try to fix that in myself, that, that I don't need to have you know, that much self-doubt. It wasn't serving me. <laughs> so Yeah, definitely. I think I I kind of experienced the same thing going through, you know, school, going through business school, doing marketing and always thinking are, you know, are these projects we're putting together gonna work? You know, am I gonna find a job when I graduate? You know, what is everybody else doing? And then I slowly started to realize that, you know, as as time goes on, you are, like you said, it's going to be yourself to kind of pull you out of that situation. And it's how you think and changing your mindset. And that's been instrumental to what we've we've done and what Donnie and I have, have put together. So are there is there advice that you have for people that are going through that, that someone's going through law school and maybe experiencing that? What what's really been the key factors for you? I I think advice I would give, maybe if I were to just go and talk to myself, you know, as a first-year law student, I would be like, look, you didn't get here overnight. You didn't get here by luck. You didn't get here um, by anything other than your credentials and people saw what you had to offer and they offered you a spot in this school. And so if somebody is in law school right now, wherever they may be, they should be proud of themselves. And they should be realistic in the fact that, like, you have something to offer. Someone saw something. There was an admissions person reading your file, and they thought, yeah, I would, I would admit them. So they admitted you. So, okay, good. So now go take that class and, and go and study. And if it, you know... If you don't get the best grade, you're still going to learn things from that. You're still going to be challenged by the bar exam at some point. You are going to have to show what you know. And is eventually you get the degree, and then you pass the bar exam, and you rise to the occasion. That's that's another thing for my Aunt Elizabeth, the judge. Rise to the occasion. You know, you are here for a reason, and you're, somebody decided that you were capable of doing this, so decide it for yourself as well and believe it. I'm not totally sure what the career path looks like. And that that's awesome advice too about, you know, just rising to the occasion and, you know, you have to be uh, what you need to be in the time that it, it that it comes. So, um, but I, I'm just curious, are you hoping one day to be a judge? That is so weird that you say that. Because <laughs> I, I would love to be a judge someday. I think it would be it would be an honor of a lifetime to, to do that. Um, I'm just right now, I'm out there grinding, trying to get the experience of being a lawyer, but now in this role of being a mediator. Um, I almost, you know, I felt like I was in a judge's position at, for a little bit there when I was um, in a, a recent mediation where both 
people were represented by counsel yeah. because, you know, to be talking to them, but also to their attorneys and, and to be trying to come up with a resolution. I mean, that's what a lot of attorneys do with the judge is it, they go into chambers and they speak with the judge and they the three minds together are able to say, OK, this is what needs to happen for this particular mm. child and their parents and what needs to happen uh, going forward. And then that way it kind of keeps the peace. But it's also it, it felt kind of like that role, even though it wasn't right. at all yeah. like that. You know, I wasn't making decisions that were binding uh, legally, but they were. I, we were coming up with ideas and solutions. And and so as a mediator, I, I really enjoyed being in that kind of position. And, and a lot of times a good judge will say, I'm just calling balls and strikes. I'm just here to uphold the law. And the attorneys are there to, you know, make their arguments for their clients. And then the clients are ultimately there. The, the litigants themselves are there to either agree or go to a hearing, you know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're pretty suited to it just with my limited knowledge because, you know, you had such a sparkle in your eye talking about your aunt. Oh. And then also how, you know, the first 20 minutes of our of our conversation, you just were talking about fairness. You know, you want you really, really wanted to represent both of the parties. And so I think, you know, I don't know, it just sounds unique with uh, most lawyers. Like you said, they're representing one client and one interest. So even though they're looking, you know, they have a passion for the law, presumably, and they want fairness. They're representing one person, but you kind of being in this mediator position, you do have two different perspectives. And oftentimes, if they're in a divorce, they're totally different perspectives. So, yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. It's such a compliment. <laughs> I'm going to be like on cloud nine the rest of the day. <laughs> well, I do have other questions. So I'm going to bring it back now. You know, I actually didn't tell you this, but uh, I wanted to be a lawyer myself. So mm -hmm. for a long time, when I was uh, in high school, I thought that's what I wanted to do. So I went uh, in and did like the law classes and stuff. I sat in on, you know, cases in, in Kane County. Uh, I went in and sat in like an armed robbery case. Oh, gosh. Um, and then on like, uh, I think like speeding traffic and, and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and then I had an attorney come into the school and he basically out of his speech convinced me not to go into law. <laughs> And so, of course, I didn't. But uh, I don't know. I think it may have been for a good reason. I think I like where I'm at. But uh, a question I always had was, you know, someone who just gets out of law school, what is the steps for them in in, in terms of getting uh, an idea of what they actually want to do? You know, because I know you always had an idea of, of going into family law. I was thinking of doing criminal. Is there some? Is there a way where you could say, okay, if I want to specialize this, I, I need to go join this group? or this networking or this bar association or anything is it how does that work yeah um well first of all i will say you should be very proud of where you are because this is amazing like i think this is so cool that you've you've built this marketing firm and that you're doing podcasts and you're doing all the digital marketing that you're doing and everything is so helpful so i'm grateful for you and i think that what you do sounds a lot more fun than some of the legal stuff that i i do sometimes so he's blushing yeah i mean you know it's just true it's it's it life is what you make it right and your career is yeah. what you make it and um if you want to go into criminal law or if you want to go into family law when you go in, um, 
you you do want to kind of start taking those courses and then so then you're going to be around those professors who are going to have special guest speakers come in who are going to come from the firms who are representing that clientele and and so you kind of your career path gets kind of formulated throughout the three years of law school um, but I will say in Illinois there are a lot of ethical uh, rules about whether or not you could consider yourself a specialist in things mm-hmm. you know it's kind of I don't know seems like a pedantic rule in my eyes but you know it is what it is you're not supposed to say that you specialize in these things but you can say that you are uh, you you offer these types of services and um, even that I may be off on this specific rule I don't even know um, but there are, there are rules against saying that you're an expert on something or you're a specialist right. you know um, but but you can um, you know prioritize or um, set yourself out you know when you hang your shingle and you want to open up a law firm you don't have to take every case and you don't you probably don't want to do that either you do kind of want to differentiate yourself by saying you know we handle family law or we handle estate planning and we handle um, bankruptcy you know you can kind of just say what kind of attorney you are or what kind of experience you have you know it's like when you don't have experience yet what do you say but you just try to Use use what you've got. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's I think it goes hand in hand with when we first started. It was well, we don't have a lot of experience, but what what have we done? What can we put together? But yeah, that makes sense. So how, I'm curious for you know future goals. What you what you have coming up? Do you have anything good in the pipeline in, in terms of new um, offerings with your mediation services? Yeah, I think um, one thing I'm realizing is that. Uh, Sometimes I'll get someone on the phone who earnestly wants mediation, but their spouse doesn't. Mm. So um, I'm looking into and have been offering collaborative law, which the only difference there is that, you know, I would be representing one side and then the other side, I'm in more of a collaborative role where I'm like, let's all sit down, whether you're represented by counsel or not, we'll sit down, we'll have a conversation. Um, They would have to either represent themselves and file their own appearance, um, or they would get an attorney to represent them who also does collaborative law. Mm. And we come up with basically the entire agreement before we even go to court and then we file the petition we say here's the we've got you know it's almost like starting with the end end in mind where we're like before we even have to go to court to even consider having a hearing on these issues let's hash it out let's figure out what the agreements are going to be and the nice thing about being the collaborative law attorney is that I can actually draft all the documents that I can you know present them to both sides and say okay this is what I mean I'm still representing my client's best interests but being open and uh, reasonable and negotiable with the other side as opposed to being like taking a hardline stance on things. So um, I do want to offer more collaborative law. And I've actually even thought about, you know, doing co-family mediation and collaborative law. It's just a long title, but, you know, it could mm-hmm. be the fine print underneath or something. But, <laughs> you know, trying to market that, which, you know, I'm definitely going to pick your brain about those yeah. kind of things you know <laughs> i already so. have an idea you just saying that i already got something cooking so exactly that's why um, i'm glad i'm here because you know yeah. <laughs> i know that you guys are going to help me out a lot and i think um that it's it's good you know it's good to bounce these things off and and to try to explain what it is that i do and what what it is i'm hoping to do because i do yeah i want to offer that i do want to keep representing clients um if i can as as their advocate Definitely. So right now, where what what's the best way for somebody to get uh, a hold of you? Do you? I know you have a website. Do you have a, a URL or it's uh, cofamilymediation.com, right? Yes, cofamilymediation.com. Okay. Um, 
I started doing some TikTok. I'm oh, on nice. there. I'm on nice. Facebook. <laughs> nice. um, trying to get the word out and trying to market myself in those ways. Um, but yeah, that's that's the biggest one is just to go to my website. I have a um, an intake form people can fill out or they can schedule online um, just through my website. They can schedule an appointment with me. Good. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I just want to know, so everyone who's, who's watching, if you guys need Chrissy's services, then definitely go to the website and, and give her a call. Uh, I just want to say, yeah, thank you again for coming on the show. And, you know, we definitely learned a lot by having you on. And, you know, law is something that I know a little bit about, but definitely it's great to have somebody who's in, in front of us that can explain these these different things. Because it's, as you know, it's, uh, you know, probably going to go down the rabbit hole if, if, you have, if you ever need, you know, your services, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's a pleasure to be on here. And, um, you know, I hope that if anybody out there is listening and they're going through a divorce, that whether they hire me or not, they know that there's like, there's light on the other side. You know, it is that uh, C.S. Lewis quote, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. And I truly believe that, you know, two years out of my divorce, I'm so happy where I am. Um, I'm co-parenting as well as possible. Um, my kids and their dad have a, you know, they, they spend just slightly more time with him than they do with me. So, you know, it's like it all, it all works for us. And um, it, it's a really good thing we've got going. And I want to leave one little kind of parting note, little story, if I may. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, because I just love podcasts. And so whoever's still listening at this point, you know, maybe they <laughs> like podcasts too. Um, the, the best thing that ever happened to me after my divorce was um, I – was lucky enough to go on Zach Braff and Donald Faison's um, podcast and, you know, them from Scrubs. So that was like my favorite show growing up. And I called in because they needed to talk to somebody about co-parenting after the pandemic. And I was like, I know a little bit about that. You know, I was going through it. I was just literally, my divorce was just being finalized um, when I got the call to be on the show. And so I got to go on and talk. And uh, Zach Braff's mom had written a book about co-parenting and about, well, about divorce specifically for children and how to get through it and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, it was just this awesome little call that I had. And lo and behold, um, a man across the pond in England was listening. <laughs> and um, I tweeted something like, I was just on my favorite podcast. Oh, my gosh, I'm so happy. And he tweeted at me, well, you were brilliant. I was like, brilliant? Who's this guy? You know, that's a, that's such a nice compliment. Well, you know, he became my best friend. We were just kind of on Twitter and the DMs, just going back and forth with like literally pen pals and uh, never really thought anything could ever happen. But we're getting married. So, you know, you just never know. Life can take you in a lot of different directions. And I just I'm an optimist through and through. And so I hope that you know, anybody out there who might be listening to this because they were like, oh, a divorce mediator, I kind of want to see what she says. I, I hope they'll take away that, you know, their divorce is hard, but you get through it. And there's so much beauty and so much grace on the other side. Thank you. Yeah, that's great thanks advice. for that story. It's very uplifting. And thanks again for coming on. Seriously, this is a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I really enjoyed it.